We'll continue where the reading left off by reading Acts 2, verse 12. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? The events of that day gave rise to several questions. Those who looked upon viewed it to be somewhat chaotic, but they were soon to come to realize that it wasn't the product of chaos, it was the product of perfect unity. But there were questions. Some were perplexed and confounded, we read. Others marveled. Some mocked, but it seems that all questioned. You heard read, are not all of these which speak Galileans? It made no sense. How hear we, every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, rather than these Galileans speaking in their native tongue, these who had come from at least 15 different geographic areas to uh, celebrate uh, Pentecost, were stunned at what developed there in that upper room. They had questions as to how they prayed, but they didn't seem to be confused about what they prayed because those who understood the the tongue that these Galileans spake said, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. They could understand the language, if that was their native language, despite the fact that the Galileans had never been trained to speak those languages. When I came along in 1974, I had questions too. I had never seen, well, I had never seen people pray. I didn't attend the church during my growing up years. My family didn't. I did have two sisters who did with some frequency. But... um, The rest of us, not so much. Sunday was a day of chores to get done. And we, uh, being seven of us, we weren't much welcome to hang around the house creating uh, chaos, speaking of chaos. So mom would send us out and dad would give us chores to do to, to keep out of her hair and his as well. But then I got saved when I was 21, and I I came into my first meeting, my first church service, and I I had questions. I wondered, for one thing, when people got up to uh, testify, I later inquired, what, how does that work? Are they on the church payroll? Do they get paid to get up and and say what they say? Oh no, I was told that just spontaneously uh, takes place for the most part. They uh, feel compelled to get up during that time of service and do so. I wondered how the work was financed, and I was told about the tithes and offerings box that was at the, in the sanctuary there on the wall. And then I came to camp meeting. Those first services were in Roseburg, uh, Oregon, and then uh, a few in Dallas, Oregon. Not not so many. I was a student at OSU, so I commuted to some uh, to uh, to Dallas, but really was pretty new and, and didn't understand how things uh, worked at that time, though I had been dramatically saved. 
as I've mentioned right along. But then, then I heard about camp meeting. I didn't know about camp meeting. Never heard of of that term used. And I surmised in my own mind that that must be where they build a great big bonfire and roast marshmallows and uh, sing whatever they Christians sing around the campfire. But instead, I came and it was church. Seemed like 24/7 church services. And the altar service was a little different than what it was in the small branch church. There was, uh, people were praying harder. And it seemed that things were happening. And I had questions. What, what's going on here? What, what is happening here? Well, answers came. And what, what really perhaps had a profound effect on me in part was that, uh, I came to understand that this movement, if you will, or this uh, church specifically, arose out of events that took place uh, early in the century at that time, and uh, specific names and locations could be still identified as to where it, it began. One name that I learned was that of Charles Parham, who had a Bible school in Topeka, Kansas, and at the end of the previous century, and actually in, in 1900 during that uh, Bible school, he was teaching his students uh, Bible doctrine. These were holiness people, a lot of holiness people during the 1800s emerging out of the Wesleyan teachings of the last half of the 1700s. They believed very uh, distinctly on uh, that there were two experiences to be saved was to turn from one's sins, having been forgiven for past sins, and to go and sin no more. And subsequently, according to the teachings, the Bible teachings of, of Wesley, to uh, press on and be sanctified holy, where the inbred, inbred nature of sin is, is eradicated. So these holiness people uh, came together, and, and Parham was trying to revive uh, what he called the apostolic faith of Acts chapter 2. It was not to, I bet, be uh, confused as to create uh, an official church, but uh, he used it to describe the faith rather than a church. He used it to describe a, a movement. Would God pour out of his spirit upon saved and sanctified people in the same manner that he did in Acts chapter 2? That was his question. He hadn't experienced uh, his own Pentecost yet. But he assigned his students different topics, Bible topics, justification, restitution, uh, sanctification. And then come Christmas time, uh, he needed to, to uh, um, honor an engagement away from that school. And so he told his students to continue by studying the, uh, the book of Acts, chapters 1 and 2 specifically, and to see what they thought about God pouring out of his spirit in the same manner as he had on the day of a Pentecost and report to him when he returned from his trip. Well, while he was away, these uh, students, I think they numbered in, in the 30s, young people for the most part, uh, got together and they prayed and held meetings. And wouldn't you know it, after midnight on the first day of the new century, 1901, uh, a, a young lady uh, prayed through and uh, the power of God came down upon her and she began to speak in a language unknown to her, as the Spirit gave utterance. Others followed. Parham came back. And uh, he too, after a while, prayed through and received what they called in those days his Pentecost. 
Well, he, uh, that, that school, um, I can't recall from memory how that uh, evolved, but, or how it continued. But uh, Parham eventually accepted an engagement in Houston, Texas, uh, taught there and uh, with many other uh, holiness people. And as he taught in that classroom, uh, Parham was a white man, and William Seymour a black man, so he had to sit outside in the hallway, or I've read others say sat outside uh, the classroom, and there he learned about Pentecost. He hadn't received it yet, but he was invited to go to Los Angeles, California, early in 1906, and to uh, preach in a holiness church in L.A., he did so, but he didn't preach sanctification. He preached the baptism of the Holy Ghost, though he had not experienced it yet. But he preached from Acts 2.4. Well, it wasn't received favorably by most of those holiness people. And so the next Sunday, they padlocked the church, and, and that was the end of that program for that church, at least at that time. But he was invited to uh, join in where he was uh, staying with some people he was staying and have what he what they called tarrying meetings because Jesus said tarry until you be endued with power from on high. So they had those uh, tarrying meetings and that was on a street called uh, Bonnie Bray Street in, in Los Angeles, 214 Bonnie Bray Street. Debbie and I had an opportunity to visit that location maybe, I don't recall, 30 years ago, um, maybe even more. I was quite curious about that. And so I, um, I, I went into that church, Debbie and I did. I think we had children, and so they would have been there too, but I, I don't re- recall the timing exactly. But I was struck by the, the plaque that was on a small plaque on the um, what we might call the greeter's desk as one enters and wrote down the words of what that said. And this, uh, what, what happened, those tarrying meetings began at the end of March and after 10 days, April 9, uh, uh, 1906, the power of the Holy Ghost came down and uh, again a lady... Uh, uh, Agnes Osman, as I recall, it was her name, was, was baptized with the Holy Ghost and spake with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. So, and that, that gave rise to a worldwide movement, actually, a Pentecostal movement. Many, uh, current, uh, Pentecostal churches date back to that 1906 revival as their origin as, as well as us. So, and, and many, by the way, uh, adopted that same apostolic faith name. So there still is in existence in the U.S. and around the world, many who claim that name, but not many embrace what was taught under that name at that time. And uh, contemporaneous records from that time clearly uh, articulate what was taught during that time. So we can be held accountable ourselves by what uh, is printed over 100 years ago from that movement. Anyway, here's the plaque. The sequence, or you have entered a very special place, a place etched in the annals of history. The sequence of events that started here could not be contained within the confines of these walls. It then made reference to an earthquake, the San Francisco earthquake that took place nine days later, April 18, 1906. 
The spiritual quake and the geological quake occurred a few days apart. People are no longer shaking from that localized quake in San Francisco, but the quake that was felt in this house is still being felt around the world. And it is still being felt uh, around the world. Well, the, the, those, those uh, meetings in Bonnie Bray Street didn't last long, perhaps simultaneously in the afternoons at 312 Azusa Street, prayer meetings were, were taking place, or vice versa. And uh, in Bonnie Bray Street, the hostess uh, of the house had to do a dinner and um, wasn't the, the prayer meeting needed to be moved to Azusa Street. There was some uh, interest in what happened at Bonnie Bray, uh, conflicting reports on all of that. But within a week or so, meetings were at Azusa Street, 312 Azusa Street. This is still April. Actually, it could be that Easter was the first day of the Azusa Street services. Still in April, it looks like, a 34-year-old woman by the name of Florence Crawford entered into those services. She had been saved some five years earlier, but hungered for more of God, was familiar with every denomination because she was... Uh, very interested in, in serving God, but longed to have a, a deeper walk with God, had heard about sanctification, but had not yet experienced it. She w- was told there's a people from a friend uh, in the lower part of L.A. that preached the whole word of God. But I don't know if you want to go, go there because of the, not only the economic, she was in the Highland Park area, even at that time, a wealthy area of L.A. This was at a... Uh, an economic uh, and racial divide that she needed across to go there. She said, I, I don't care. If they preach the whole word of God, take me to them. And so she went and uh, interviewed with who we supposed to be, William Seymour. And he told her after she described her salvation, you have a good dose of salvation, you need to be sanctified. And so she began to pray and pray and pray, coming and going from that place uh, throughout the week. And the Friday night, uh, that followed, she prayed through, and God sanctified her. And it's very descriptive in, in her words uh, how that uh, came about. A week later, within a week later, some say three days, some say a week later, she was filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. She brought that message to uh, Portland after having traveled to the Midwest as well. And the newspapers, secular newspapers, even document what happened both back in Kansas and in Los Angeles, and in Salem, as she made her way up this way, and uh, ultimately in Portland. And those news reports were not always favorable because those who saw what was going on or heard of what was going on had the same questions that happened on the day of Pentecost. What meaneth this? What's going on here? Well, those who stopped long enough to uh, study the Bible and uh, experience it, uh, came to understand what went on there. But the authority uh, for these, uh, this message and these teachings is not uh, the secular reports or church history or even personal experience. The authority is the Word of God. The Bible itself gives the foundation. If we knew nothing of what happened in 1906, uh, or any of these reports, we could start from scratch reading the Word of God and see that we have the promise of Pentecost. 
the disciples had questions before this, after Jesus rose uh, and showed himself alive for 40 days, then told them, go. Well, first they asked him, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Questions. Jesus has answers. And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or, or the seasons, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. That was his promise. It was a, a repetition of a promise that John the Baptist had given them. So if those words from Jesus sounded familiar, it's because some three and a half years earlier, three years at least, John the Baptist had said, I in, uh, bapt- indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So we see uh, this experience in these words uh, illustrated three different ways. Uh, first, he promised that these believers would be endued with power from on high. That is to be clothed with uh, power as if uh, by a garment. So we get an idea of the fullness of the fulfillment of this promise. Then also you'll be empowered. So you shall receive power. That is to receive might in the form of the Holy Ghost descending upon you. And that in the form of, of fire. You know that fire can be destructive, but it can also be productive. It can energize or be used to uh, produce energy. Well, that, that's the power of, of the Holy Ghost. And, and finally, baptized, so endued, empowered and baptized. And we understand what it is to be baptized in water. That is to be immersed or to be bathed or again to be covered as in, as in water. That's the experience of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's a promise that Jesus gave to the disciples. He said, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, knowing that he was going to go. And the uh, disciples were concerned as to what they would do once Jesus was, had departed from them. So he said, I'll give you another comforter. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And he went on. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. These promises to them are also promises to us. Joel foretold it. And when they questioned, what meaneth this? He was able, Peter stood up and preached the first sermon of the gospel dispensation and said, this is that which was promised by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So, And he continued on from there. But he also had promised when it would occur. He said, uh, I will send the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And as it happens, April 9th, 1906, and the first part of April of every month uh, falls uh, in the first month uh, on the Jewish calendar. And that is what we believe to be the beginning of the latter rain in 1906, the former rain having taken place in on the day of Pentecost, as we read in Acts chapter 2. Isaiah 
uh, foretold it as well. I will pour out of my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. Some of you are the offspring of those who received this Pentecostal experience uh, early on after the formation of, of this work. Uh, but remember, we're not so much concerned about the organization as we are about the faith, the faith of the apostles, the apostolic faith. That is what we want to not only teach and, and adhere to, it's what we want to live. We're not impressed when the theology is right, but uh, the practicality is wrong. We're not happy if the lifestyle is corrupt, but the doctrine is pure. We must not only preach it, we must live it. And by the grace of God, uh, we do. So we have the promise of Pentecost. We have the purpose of Pentecost, which we've somewhat said already. It is to empower us. Power from on high. Why it was power for uh, these uh, fishermen to be turned into fishers of men. They were deemed to be uneducated and were uneducated in the uh, Pharisee type of uh, education in the school of the Sanhedrin, uh, but they uh, that doesn't mean they were stupid or dumb. It just means they hadn't been trained like the Pharisees or Sadducees ha- had been trained or the scribes. They uh, were uneducated and, and looked down upon in a condescending manner by those who were properly trained. But those who were properly trained were the ones who asked questions, weren't satisfied with the answers, and went away without the blessing. We want, we want the blessing. We want the experience. So the uh, power of God was to embolden uh, the meek and impart courage to the weak. God still does that. We want the grace to withstand in their day the religious and political hostility. Well, we face that, not to the measure that they face it then, but you will face hostility. The power of God gives you the courage to withstand it and to even stand up against it as uh, you use wisdom doing so. But God will help you to do that. They were to be delivered up, Jesus said. And they were to take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate. So don't worry and fret about what you will say if somebody says thus and so to you and you will say this and they'll retort so on and you'll give them a rebuttal. No, 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 no. Here's what you do. Neither do you premeditate, but uh, whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. That's the purpose of the Holy Ghost, to empower you, to give you discernment, to give you uh, the grace and the words that uh, you should speak when it comes time to speak. The Holy Ghost also promises to bring to remembrance what you have previously studied. So don't uh, think that you can just go extemporaneous and never study. You have to to study it, and then uh, if you're like me, you'll soon forget it, but at the right time, uh, by the grace of God, it will return to you, and you can say it the way it ought to be said. I was told early on when... I began, uh, was asked to, uh, to preach that uh, the same God who can inspire at the pulpit can inspire in the study before you go to the pulpit. Well, I don't know how well I do at the pulpit, but I certainly enjoyed, enjoy it when I'm away from the pulpit uh, in the study. But that's the purpose uh, of uh, Pentecost. He, these things have I spoken unto you, yet being present. 
He was going to be gone. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. It is also he, the Holy Ghost, not we, who convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. We may speak words that go to the air, but the Spirit of God uh, takes uh, words that we don't even speak, but perhaps the spirit of what is said and penetrates the heart uh, of men and women, boys and girls. And make no mistake, it's true of boys and girls too who sit in these services and though they're uh, coloring away or doing whatever boys and girls do these days, uh, they, uh, I'm told later they hear what is said by their parents. And we pray that it uh, accomplishes what God would have be, to be accomplished. Despite the, the moving and the working of the Spirit of God, we do not glorify the Spirit. No, we don't. Uh, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He shall not speak of Himself. He speaks of Jesus. He, the Spirit of God, glorifies me. But when the Comforter is come, He shall testify of me. So uh, we, we speak of the experience. We, we want... Uh, the experience, but the Spirit of God uh, draws attention to the Lamb of God, and if He be lifted up, He draws all men unto Himself. Well, we we saw the promise of Pentecost, the purpose of uh, of Pentecost, and the power of Pentecost. Uh, we see what happens here in the first chapter of Acts. Uh, they were to wait or to tarry, that is, that is to linger. Uh, that's uh, that's what waiting means. Uh, if time does not elapse, you're not waiting. That's why prayer is is hard work, spending time with God. And we, we it's not so much as seeking an experience from God as it is seeking to know God, become acquainted with God. If we deem uh, in our hearts and souls to want to draw closer to God and know Him better, then uh, the rest will come. And they, so they continued in prayer. We uh, could have read in one fourteen, which we will, these all continued uh, with one accord. There you see the unity, the harmony, in prayer and supplication with the women and, and Mary. And we, we could identify of the 120 who were there perhaps slightly more than 100. We know that 11 were there, and a couple of Marys were there. We could assume that some of the women that we read about in the Gospels were there, but you'd have a hard time uh, coming up with more than uh, 15 or so names. So the others go nameless. But that's a nice place to be, really, to be nameless and yet experience God and accomplish what God wants to be accomplished. But the, the, the Lord worked in their midst. They were of one accord, one heart, one mind. They continued in prayer. That is that they attended constantly to prayer. Prayer became the focal point of their lives. The, the uh, schedule that they kept revolved around the current prayer meeting and the next one to come. It was important. Still important nowadays. So much the more as you see the day of the Lord uh, approaching. We are not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together. We want to be in the prayer meeting and draw close to God as a result. Their mood in prayer is as instructive, perhaps, as the language they used in prayer. They, they weren't 
morose. They weren't grieving, though Jesus, had their leader, had been crucified. He had risen from the dead. So they were rejoicing. Luke ends with the words that they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. 114, uh, in, in there they stuck to praying, but we, we capture the spirit uh, of it. I read Luke uh, 52, uh, 2452, they worshiped him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So they, they were happy to be praying. We, we see it's, it's the fulfillment of the golden altar of the Old Testament, which sat before the veil and the high priest uh, or the priest morning and evening would take fire from the uh, brazen altar where the sin offerings were uh, presented, take coals from that, that fire and put uh, incense upon them uh, after they had been distributed on this uh, golden altar. And the fragrance of that incense covered a number of things uh, practically, uh, in that tabernacle worship, but they represented the prayers of the saints that ascend before God. That's what's happening. When you are saved and sanctified, you are that golden altar. The prayers that you emit ascend before God as a sweet-smelling savor. That's what's happening on the day of Pentecost. That was what was uh, happened uh, in the Azusa Street movement in the beginning. These holy people were praising and rejoicing and thanking God uh, for the victory. No wonder the power fell. The power still falls when uh, a consecrated uh, holy life is uh, continuing to present their praises to God. Uh, God answers that prayer. And it came suddenly, the experience. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven. and That sound burst forth. Uh, as a mighty rushing wind swept through that house where they were uh, praying and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. The, the Spirit of God gave these uh, the distinct uh, words and language that was heard by these who had come from afar. And, and suddenly these Galileans are, are speaking words that, they heard in their tongue, though the Galileans had never spoken that way. Well, God will answer prayers today with great power and gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the dead, missionaries to the world, and they were able to fulfill that uh, with great power. Uh, Peter preached that sermon. At the end of the sermon, another question emerged. And that was, what shall we do? What shall we do then? Well, to the sinners, repent and be baptized and pray through to your, your deeper experiences. Because what has happened here on, on the day of Pentecost, he says the promises to you and to your children, to those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. God has called you. God has called me. The promise of Pentecost, the power of Pentecost is available to men and women, boys and girls today. Let's look heaven's way. Let's set ourselves to praying. Let's, uh, well, you already do all of that, so I'm not uh, suggesting that you don't. But uh, by the grace of God, uh, we want to give you hope that your prayers will be answered. Your prayers are being answered. Meantime, tarry, wait. 
Enjoy the presence of the Lord. Enjoy becoming acquainted with the Lord. God will honor your prayers. He will answer from heaven. We'll have a time of prayer now as we look heaven's way together.